of a series uh, that we're calling Lord's Prayer. It is a walk through the Lord's Prayer. And uh, let me just give you an update to kind of bring us uh, to where we're at today in the third week. The first week, uh, we talked about the opening line of the Lord's Prayer, and that is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And what we learned that God, is, we, what we learned is that God is, in fact, our Father, uh, that by calling him Father, there is this, it's a sign of intimacy, it's a sign of familiarity, uh, but it's more than that. It's a way of us saying, uh, God, we accept and we recognize that because of Christ on the cross and the resurrection, through faith, we are made your children and that we are signing on to the kingdom of God, life in the kingdom of God. It's a beautiful thing. And so this idea of our Father in heaven is much more and much more profound than just saying that there's a familiarity or an intimacy of calling God our Father. It's a call to action, and it's a commitment on our part. In the second week, that is last week, we, we taught... Uh, we are taught by the Lord to pray that his kingdom uh, come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that is to say that as God's children, our allegiance now belongs to God and his kingdom. And if we pray that prayer seriously, uh, and this is kind of where we ended the message last week, that if we really pray honestly and authentically and seriously for God's kingdom to come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, wouldn't that change everything? Wouldn't everything be different if we really prayed this prayer with an honesty and an authenticity? And uh, for sure, it would change the way that we do Christmas. And uh, so last week, we, inter- we introduced this movement, Advent Conspiracy, that you just saw the video, and we had a little bit of technical issues. We finally got it, we got it fixed there, and you were able to hear it. Uh, but this idea of Advent Conspiracy is doing Christmas differently, that if the kingdom of God was foremost on our mind of, of blessing those, as we've been so abundantly blessed, blessing those who are less fortunate, who have real and authentic needs in this Christmas season... And so we want to change the way we do Christmas. And, and uh, we're going to be building wells and, and giving money to build wells. Uh, but we don't just want to give money to build wells. That's not what Advent Conspiracy is all about. Although we do want to get a lot of money, right? We want to give a lot of money. Uh, our goal this year is to give away $9,200 to build 23 wells in Africa that will change the lives of thousands of people. So that's big part of it. But that's not all that it's about. We hope, and my prayer has been, is that many of you, as a result of participating in Advent Conspiracy, will do Christmas differently. That in your family, there will be a brand new tradition of keeping in mind those who are less fortunate during this, this time of year, rather than seeking to give all we can, or to get all that we can get, or to give that sweater, that gift card that really we don't really need, okay? So uh, it's a twofold movement. We want to do Christmas differently, and then we want to give money to build wells, and I believe that God is, is going to uh, bless us as we are obedient to him, and I also believe that God is going to encourage you and empower you to give in brand new ways this Christmas season, okay? So that's our goal, $9,200. You can give today in the offering. Just mark that check or that envelope uh, for uh, Advent conspiracy or wells or just some, some way to indicate that that's what you want the money to go toward. 100%, I don't think I mentioned this last week, but 100% of the money that you give goes to build wells. 
Emmaus Road doesn't take out any administrative fee, and the organization that we uh, give to, Marion Medical Mission, does not take out any administrative fee. So every penny you give goes straight to Build Wells, and we uh, hope that you will give generously. So we're going to continue today by looking at the, at the next line in the Lord's Prayer, Give us this day our daily bread. I want to read the Lord's Prayer to you. It's from Matthew chapter 6. Uh, you can turn there if you want. You can just follow along, uh, or you can just listen to God's Word. Uh, sometimes that is good as well. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, the Lord's Prayer, as it's recorded here in the Gospel of Matthew. It says this, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, some of you might immediately say, well, there's a line missing right at the end. And so is there, where do we get that last line? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Where do we get that part? Because the Lord's Prayer is also recorded in Luke, which is more abbreviated than it is is here in Matthew. And that's actually a liturgical thing that the church for thousands of years has added on. And that line is found in Chronicles. So we've taken this last line from Chronicles and we've said liturgically that as the body of Christ, as we say this together... That's a very helpful line to put at the end. It's not part of the prayer that, the, the, that uh, Christ taught his disciples as it's recorded in Scripture. So uh, just a little bit of information there as to where that last line comes from that we oftentimes don't say. All right, so um, Black Friday. Uh, <laughs> it's become a bit of a sensation, right, in this country, and uh, it's become a little bit of a violent sensation. If you watch the news and, and kept up with it, there were acts of violence all over the country from coast to coast, and uh, everybody trying to grab that greatest deal, people camping out at Best Buy for the $200 TV, Right, retailers opening like on Thanksgiving night. I talked to somebody working retail. They had to work Thanksgiving morning in preparation for all the craziness that would happen in the next couple days. It has gotten absolutely out of control. Probably most of you were not there with the midnight crowd. Some of you were there. I won't ask you to raise your hand. Some of you might have been, uh, you know, having a tent outside of Best Buy, and I hope that you really enjoyed your $200 TV this weekend. I hope that you never got up from the couch and that you watched that whole th- that thing all day long. Uh, so it's become this bit of a sensation. Most of us probably weren't part of all the craziness. Some of us, though, probably many of us went to the store on Black Friday, Right? Probably 8 or 9 a.m., kind of moseying in there, want to get some deals. And when you went, you had a list. And you had some of the things that you wanted, right? Some of the things that you, the thing that you wanted was on sale. You couldn't miss it. Chances are you had a list of some things that other people wanted, and you wanted to get some Christmas shopping done. Uh, Quite simply, right, because of Advent Conspiracy. And then, uh, you know, there may be just some other things on the list. But you went to the stores on Black Friday with... A list, things that you want, things that other people want, probably some necessities thrown in there as well. And then sometimes, though, don't our prayers feel just like the list on Black Friday? That when we pray, 
Oftentimes, we find ourselves up against a wall because we come to the realization that my prayers have become nothing more than a shopping list for the Almighty. God, here's some things that I want. Here's some things that others need. And here are some necessities. And we find that well, while we desire to have a better prayer life and, and we want to, to uh, you know, we hear stories about people who uh, the, the floor by their bed has these, these, these grooves in it because they've spent so many hours on their knees. And, and we say, man, that's not me, you know. And, and we, but we want a better prayer life. But oftentimes we come to the realization that my prayer is just a shopping list. And it feels like my prayer, my shopping list isn't really making its way to the Almighty but hitting the ceiling before it ever gets there. The danger with this line of the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread, is that we often get there too quickly. Are you with me? We pray, and oftentimes we pray in such a way that we begin, not where the prayer begins, the Lord's Prayer, but, where, but at this line. We get there too soon. It's easy to rush through to this part of the prayer. And so we say, Father, honor, kingdom. Now here are some things that I need. Here are some things that I want. I need that new job. I need that promotion. I need her to call. Right, guys? Some of you single guys, you're like, I need her to call. Lord, I don't care if you just take over her body and pick up the phone for her and dial my number, but I've got to hear from her soon, okay? I need her to call. Some of you married couples, I need him to stop being selfish. Things are falling apart, and so, Lord, this is what I need, and I need it now. I need him to stop being selfish. Some of you, Lord, help me find a good parking spot at Target. Huh? Come on. Some of you, some of you are like, thank you, Lord, that the McRib is back. May it always stay on the menu. Now, if you... I don't even know what that thing is, all right? It is some kind of mystery meat, and they just call it a McRib, but it is an absolute sensation. Some of you are praying, Lord, could you bring back the Black Friday sales so I don't have to, I don't have to mess with all the nastiness, but I can still get the discount, right? Make the, la- make, the, make the sales last clear through the holiday season. I would argue, though, that in, to pray in this way, to pray first for the daily bread. To pray first for those things that we need slash want. And sometimes we get those mixed up. To pray here first is to allow greed to take over instead of grace. And that's natural, right? Because we all struggle with greed and selfishness. In fact, I would argue that it's, it's a little bit out of balance to... Um, Go crazy shopping, like on Black Friday, after we've just set aside an entire day to be thankful for what we already have. Right? So we spend this entire day being thankful, and the very next day, we go absolutely bananas to get the things that we don't have yet. We, uh, we struggle with this greed thing. And oftentimes our prayers reflect that. And to pray in this way is to allow 
uh, greed to get in the way of grace. And so what I would argue today and what I want to encourage you to do is that when you pray, allow a pause to honor and adore God in heaven, to take time to honor his name and then to pray for his kingdom to come. Because here's what I want to argue and here's what I want to point out. If we don't do that, if we don't take time to, to call God our father, sign ourselves up for the kingdom of God, honor his name and then pray for his kingdom to come, oftentimes we won't have a clear picture of what we really want right oftentimes the give us our daily bread is out of balance it's out of sync if we don't first take time to honor him and pray for first and foremost for his kingdom to be realized in the world because sometimes we pray in a selfish way because we're not praying first for his kingdom and so oftentimes our desires come to us sort of all muddled and mucky and unclear because we haven't taken the time to clarify ourselves to clarify our mind and place ourselves under the will and the desire of God. Does that make sense? And I don't know about you, but this is very convicting to me because the way in which I pray, and I think many of you are like that, is oftentimes I get to the daily bread too soon. Okay? So... We have to find our proper place within the prayer. First, we call God Father. It's an intimate, it's a familiar name. And in doing so, we do so not just because he's our buddy, but we do so because we've given our allegiance to him. We've been adopted into his family. We have signed on to the kingdom of God. And then we take time to honor his name. And we say, God, your name above all others. You are the one true God. May your name be great in all of the world. And then we surrender ourselves to his will by praying your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and by doing so we also commit ourselves to action we place ourselves under his will we pray for his kingdom to come and we commit to action that is going about accomplishing works of the kingdom in the world and it is only within this framework that we can truly discover what we need and what we want Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, says Proverbs 37, 4. Many of you, if you grew up in church, you've probably memorized that verse. You've heard it before. Uh, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This does not mean that God will answer every selfish inclination that you've ever had. But rather, it means that God becomes the author of your desires. It's not that you are the author of your desires and God is the, one, is the one granting that wish or that desire. It's that God becomes the author of your desires, that what you desire is in line with what he desires. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you, he'll be the author of your desires. I think that really speaks to the truth of the order of the Lord's prayer. Father, honor, kingdom, and now give us today our daily bread. Now, so I think it's in our benefit to pray in a more integral, in a more integrated manner to get our heart right, then bring our request to God. Now, granted, there are times of urgency when we don't have time or we don't need to sort of honor God and pray for his kingdom. There is an urgent matter that needs to be brought before the Lord right here, right now. Now, I understand that, but typically speaking, it's, it's better to pray in a more integrated manner to place ourselves under the will of God so that we truly know what our 
desires are and what we truly need. Now, throughout the series so far, we've drawn deeper meaning from each line in the prayer by sort of examining the life of Christ himself. In other words, this prayer doesn't just kind of stand out here uh, on its own or kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's really... It really comes out of and is born out of the life of Christ himself, right? He embodies these very things that he teaches the disciples to pray for. And so we've looked at the life of Christ and said, by looking at his life, how can we now deeper understand the life of, uh, or the meaning of this prayer? For example, he calls God Father. Jesus calls God Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so we see him living out this idea of calling God Father. He embodies the kingdom that he teaches the disciples to pray for. And the same is true for give us this day our daily bread. We see Jesus living this out in his life. And so if we were to pull back a couple of layers of this phrase, what can we begin to see that it means from the life of Christ? Okay, Because we could just say, you know, we need to pray in a more integrated manner. We need to place ourselves under the will of God. That would be a great message, the shortest message I've ever preached as well. All of you would be happy. You'd get to Olive Garden on time. But instead, I have a little bit more to say. We good? Okay, so if we peel back some layers, what does it mean from the life of Christ? Now, part of Jesus' life was hanging out with all the wrong people. You remember that part? Uh, if you've read the Gospels and read, if you don't, if you aren't familiar with that, read through it and you will find that over and over and over again, Jesus is made fun of, he's accused, he's called names because he's hanging out with all the wrong people. And so what the Bible says is hanging out with sinners and it's an intentional work for his kingdom. Religious leaders like to call him names. And for example, in Matthew eleven nineteen, he's called a glutton and a drunkard. A glutton and a drunkard, Jesus is called in Matthew eleven nineteen, Because of this very reason, he was seen as hanging out with all the wrong people. But what we find in the gospel is that Jesus is very intentional about why he's hanging out with those people, right? And we're going to learn that as we go along. But this idea of glutton and a drunkard in Matthew is not actually original to the people that called him that name. They were actually borrowing from, from, like this, this, from the old law in Deuteronomy. Uh, here's what Deuteronomy uh, chapter 21, 18 through, chapter 21, 18 through 21 says. Now, if someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him, bring him to the elders at the gate of the town, and then they shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a prolificate and a drunkard. Prolificate is someone that's excessive, right? Glutton. Gluttony is the, uh, not just in relation to food, it's like sort of this excessive nature, right? We could all say that on Black Friday, there's sort of this gluttony of shopping that's going on, okay? So he's a glutton, prolificate, and a drunkard. Same exact phrase. This is, what the son, this is what the parents are telling the elders at the gate. Then all of the men of the town are to stone him to death. Wow. And you must purge the evil from among you, and all Israel will hear of it and be afraid. By calling Jesus this name, they are likening him or comparing him to the rebellious son that is deserving of death. In other words, the charge against Jesus was not just that he was going to too many parties with all the wrong people. They were essentially saying that he is profoundly disloyal to the religious traditions and that he deserves to die. 
And in fact, we can say that Jesus was not loyal to the religious systems. He was loyal to the one that he called Father. And so his motley crew of friends are an intentional move for the kingdom of God. And what is one of the central images of, this, of these parties that he holds, of these get-togethers that he's having with all the wrong people? One of the central images is bread. Isn't that interesting? That bread sort of stands as the central symbol of Jesus getting together with all the wrong people. And so what can we learn from this? Well, uh, the, the bread essentially is a symbol that, is, that, that symbolizes the great banquet that we'll have with God in the end. It's the symbol that all who are brought to, to God through faith in Jesus Christ, in his cross and his resurrection, all of those people are brought unto God. And then what we have is this great wedding feast, right? Where we have bread and wine and all of these kinds of wonderful things as they're coming together, right? And so the central image that is that we will enjoy bread at the end of time, and it's sort of this exclusiveness, right? That it only belongs to the people of faith. It only belongs to the people who are in the, in the in crowd. But what Jesus does is he flips that around, and he starts having parties with all the wrong people, with the sinners, okay? You see the picture of, what, of what's going on here? And so the party then is a sign that God is putting all things back to right, that freedom is breaking in, that people are being rescued, that people are being brought to God, they're being brought into faith, and that every tear is being wiped from every eye. It's this sort of, it's the central symbol of what is to come for our hope. Are you with me now? This idea of bread. So the party is a sign that God is putting things back to right. And you wondered why churches really liked food and potlucks. It's because we're practicing for the great wedding feast of the lamb, right? That's why there's food at everything. I mean, it doesn't matter. Any church function, there is food. Whether it's happening in the church or in homes or in a coffee shop, right? There's always, always food. Now, it would be natural to ask, well, why was Jesus hated for this? He was anticipating the wedding banquet of the Lamb, and surely the religious leaders were doing that as well. And you're right. The religious leaders themselves were, were participating in great feasts. In fact, they had a whole schedule of feasts that they would follow in anticipation and in celebration of what was to come and what had come that anticipated the future. It was sort of all this way of pointing forward to the great hope that we have in Christ and the restoration of all things. So why was Jesus hated for it? Well, first of all, he was celebrating this feast with all of the wrong people. He threw a party for Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Jesus hangs out at Zacchaeus' house and does what? Throws a party. Now, y'all got to love on me a little bit more for singing that. Are you, are you guys still on turkey hangover? Or what's going on? You guys are a hard crowd today. So he hangs out with all the wrong people. He's having parties with all the wrong people, right? He has Zacchaeus 
Uh, he goes over to Zacchaeus' house and, and surely has bread and enjoys that. Then Luke 15, in Luke 15 it begins like this. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, that is the religious leaders, and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and what? Eats with them. And then in Luke 15, Jesus tells three stories. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, or more popularly known as the prodigal son. And he says that a party was thrown that each time one of these were found. Now, the party was supposed to be for the people that were on the inside. And the bread that was given was an exclusive kind of bread. What was Jesus doing telling these sinners and these tax collectors about the loss being found and a party being thrown? In other words, the party is a sign that people are being rescued and that freedom is breaking in. And so, first of all, Jesus, he parties with all the wrong people, but he also, it's a double foul because he also parties at all the wrong times. Jews in Jesus' day kept this feast to commemorate days of great sadness, or not feast, they had days of feast, and then they also had days of fasting. And so in Jesus' day, they had a whole schedule of fasting in order to commemorate or to remember the great days of sadness in Israel's history. Jesus, though, refused to to fast on those days, and instead he threw parties. Do you get the complete picture? Jesus is partying with sinners on the days that the religious leaders are fasting. He is, in fact, through his actions, celebrating the presence of the kingdom of God. He's saying there is no reason to fast on these days any longer and to remain in sadness for the kingdom of God is currently breaking in. Now, that's not an excuse to not practice the spiritual practice of fasting in our day. It's a way of Jesus saying, There's, we need to mourn no longer for the kingdom of God is currently here. It's breaking in right here and right now. And so how can you fast in sadness when the bridegroom is here with you and the kingdom of here? Give us this day our daily bread in this setting essentially means let the party continue, right? And this is confirmed in the structure of the Greek, both in Matthew and in Luke. It could be understood this way. Give us today our bread for tomorrow or give us here and now the bread that is promised in the great tomorrow. Give us today our bread for tomorrow or give us here and now the bread that is promised for the great tomorrow. Give us this day our daily bread is a way of us praying in anticipation for the restoration of all things. It's a way of us saying, uh, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And and, uh, give us today our daily bread. We're praying for his kingdom to come. And then we're praying, may it be experienced in our everyday life, right? This, if, this, if the bread is the sign of the party, if it's a sign of the things to come, and we're praying for that kingdom to come, it's a way of saying, may your kingdom come, but may we also experience it. Give us today our bread for tomorrow. Give us our today, here and now, the bread that is reserved for the great tomorrow. May we experience day to day the kingdom which we are praying for. Are you with me now? 
And so I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what your life looks like or, or if Thanksgiving is a beautiful time with family or if you think about family and you think that you just, you came out of a family of a bunch of weirdos and you had to live through that and your life is crashing down and you're feeling like everything's kind of crumbling apart. I don't know what your life is like or where you're at, but my prayer for you today is that you would experience the kingdom of God, that you would either be forgiven for, for uh, harms that you have done to others, that you would forgive some who have offended you, that you would, in your time of desperation and need, find and discover God to be sufficient in your time of struggle, that you would see that God is good, that God is not absent but present. All of these things are evidences of the kingdom of God. And so we are called to pray for his kingdom to come and be actors for the kingdom. But then we are also called to pray that we may experience the kingdom. And this is precisely what we're trying to do at Christmas. We're saying we want to be active participants in the kingdom of God. So let us live a life of generosity to build wells to those who don't even have clean water. May we be the agents of the kingdom for them. But may we not just be agents of the kingdom. May we ourselves experience the goodness and the greatness of God in our own lives. Because for some, it's, there are such desperate times of need where we need to experience God that we can't even think about giving ourselves away as agents of the kingdom. But as Christians, we're called to do both. That as we are blessed, we go on and be a blessing. That we experience the kingdom. That we might be an agent of the kingdom. We pray for the kingdom to come. Then we pray for our daily bread. We pray for the party to continue in our own life. But what about those, those daily needs? That new job. That better marriage. Do those have a place? Are we really to pray in that way? And I would argue that we, that we are. Because remember, the point of this prayer is not to say that everything is just purely spiritual, that we need to experience God on sort of this deeper and more, more uh, realistic spiritual level. It's a very physical prayer. And so our daily needs and our desires point beyond themselves to a time when all desires and needs will be perfectly met. And so for us to pray that, our, that we experience this daily bread, that we experience the daily needs that you and I all have, it's a way of saying that we believe in a day when all those desires will be met. You need a job right now. You're having a really hard time making ends meet at the end of the month. There's too much month left at the end of the money, Right? And so you're, you're saying, God, there is a need, there is a desperate need in my life to make ends meet. Praying for that need to be met points beyond itself and calls in favor a time where, in fact, every need will be sufficiently met. And we're praying that we experience that today. And so it's a, it's a here and now and a tomorrow thing. It points the daily need that you have Praying that God would meet that, praying that God is sufficient to meet your need is a way of saying that my need points beyond itself to a day when all needs will be met and all desires perfectly fulfilled. 
And so it is totally in line and healthy and good for you to pray that your desires and that your needs be met. And there are many examples of people who have prayed for something for which they desired and then they received it from God. And sometimes it's difficult to discern in prayer what our deepest desires really are. I said at the beginning that if we don't pray sort of in order, if we don't find our proper place in prayer, that oftentimes our, our desires are muddled. We don't truly know what we need or, or what we want. And so sometimes it can be very difficult to discern what our deepest desires really are, but through prayer, God sorts them out. And they move from muddled to clear, from confused to untangled. So that, when we, so that we can pray not full of greed, but full of grace. And pray for what we truly need and praying for that which is evidence of God's kingdom in our life. I think you've caught on to this, but I want to I kind of close this morning by giving you a sense of the movement of the prayer. God is our Father, and we, through faith, are his children, and we sign on to the kingdom of God. And then we honor his name. Then we pray for his kingdom to come. And then we pray for our daily bread. And with its imagery to feasting and a call to meet our daily needs, it is essentially a prayer to experience his kingdom in our lives. Now we'll find next week, as we are taught to forgive for forgiveness as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. What we learn is that we are now burst forth into living ways, specific ways of living that kingdom out. But we cannot, however, forget that as we pray for our daily bread, and we've tried to capture a little deeper meaning because my guess is that many of you are not literally struggling for daily bread. Um, we have to realize that there are some in our midst, around the world, in our city, that when, if they were to pray this prayer, they would be praying literally for a piece of bread to help uh, avoid the hunger that they are feeling. And so we should not pray this prayer without thinking of those who are in need and without committing ourselves to living a generous life. So this prayer helps us to move from greed to generosity. And saying, as we pray, give us today our daily bread, we remember those who don't even have their daily bread. And that maybe, just maybe, God wants to use us to meet their need. It's a beautiful prayer, profound in meaning, and not just words that we say together as a community.